Welcome to This Sustainable Life, Solve for Nature. Our guests are the heroes that are working to save our world from climate change, pollution, and the destruction of our natural world. We hear their stories and solutions and then offer them a chance to act, to take on a challenge to make their own lives more joyful and fulfilling through sustainability and living by their values. We focus on leadership, awareness, action, and the environment. We hope that you join us in building a community dedicated to living better sustainably. Today, I'm talking with Steve Malink, who is the Forbes book author of Fusion Capitalism, a clean energy vision for conservatives, and founder and CEO of the Malink Corporation, a Cincinnati, Ohio-based company considered to be a pioneer in renewable energy solutions for the commercial building industry. He's a national speaker on sustainability, clean energy, and zero energy buildings, and he has even consulted for federal and state legislators. Today, we talked a lot about making your business more sustainable, including affordable ways businesses of any size can start the transition to renewable energy, how companies waste money in terms of their energy usage, and climate change, and how it will affect every business on Earth. Let's hear what he has to say. Here's Steve Malink. Hello and welcome everyone to This Sustainable Life, Solve for Nature. Today I'm here talking to Steve Malink. Steve, how are you? Hi, Eugene. Great. Thanks for having me on your program. Not at all. It's great to have you on this show. You are the author of Fusion Capitalism, a clean energy vision for conservatives, as well as the founder of the Malink Corporation, a company out there in Ohio that are doing renewable energy solutions and commercial, what is it, building retrofits. Is that correct? Yeah, we do clean energy solutions work for the commercial building industry. So what exactly does that encompass? Is that like solar panels? Are we talking? Yeah, we got started in doing heating, ventilation, air conditioning, commissioning work. We do this work for a lot of the national chains here in the U.S., like Walmart, Target, McDonald's, Starbucks, so many other restaurant, retail, supermarket chains. And it's about basically ensuring that their HVAC systems are performing to their optimal efficiency. That led to the development of variable speed controls for commercial kitchen hoods. So now we, you know, we're the inventor pioneer of such controls and we are retrofitting thousands across the country and the world. We have distributors and installers around the world, but we're basically converting a, um, you might call a unintelligent hood that runs at full speed all day long to a smart hood that varies speed based on actual uh, cooking load. We also do yeah, solar PV projects across the country. We do geothermal HVAC, and we're also into building pressure monitoring because that's such a, a key parameter to measure, you know, gain a sense of the health of a building. We're kind of this eclectic energy efficiency, renewable energy solutions provider for commercial building owners. And, uh, you know, we, we play in the space that the big companies like Siemens and Johnson Controls and Honeywell do not play in. Right, right. So a lot of that kind of make, making buildings smarter, is that correct? Yeah, and more efficient. 
Yeah, actually, I was looking around on your website, and one of the things that most interested me was the geothermal HVAC stuff. That stuff looked really, really interesting. Well, we're trying to cost reduce geothermal to help it go mainstream, like the solar PV industry has gone mainstream over the last 10 years. So, Uh you know, not very many people are doing geothermal right now because of that high first cost. If we can cost reduce it, we know that the market will, you know, embrace it more. You know, we're into our second uh, grant with the Department of Energy doing some very interesting research and development work, looking for how we can create heat sources and sinks that mimic the ground. You know, geothermal is about typically you're putting pipes in the ground in which to, you know, dump heat or extract heat. And um, there's other strategies that you can use that mimic that. And I'm going to just mention one, for example, would be rainwater that that comes off the roof. That can be an excellent sink in which to dump the heat from a building into something that's colder than the outside air typically is. We're looking at using phase change materials also. You know, ice and water is a phase change material. You go from one solids to liquids. But the problem in using water is that it takes such a cold temperature, 32 degrees Fahrenheit, to freeze it. And that takes a lot of energy to get down to 32 degrees. So we're using phase change materials that can melt and freeze at something more like 60 to 70 degrees. Not as much energy. And um, in fact, it can also hold a lot more energy than uh, just water. So those are some of the innovations that we're looking to bring to the geothermal industry. Excellent. And these are things that you can retrofit buildings for? You don't have to do this before building the building? Well, the uh, geothermal product is not yet brought to market. We're in the throes of developing that product. We're testing a number of pilot systems. Most certainly the solar PV systems that we install in commercial buildings, you can retrofit them all day long. And in fact, that's what's mostly happening in, in the building industry. Building owners are placing solar on their rooftops or over their parking lots in a, you know, in the solar canopy, or if they have available ground, put a ground mount system. But, you know, the way forward though, is to make new buildings solar ready. So it requires a little bit less work electrically to have it, to kind of plug it in. Right. What about the, uh, the building monitoring systems that you were talking about? Are those pretty easy to install into existing buildings? Very easy. It's a wireless product. We mount a component on the outside of the building, typically on the roof, and then one on the inside of the building. And we're comparing the pressure inside versus outside. And what you pretty much always want is a slight positive pressure in your buildings, because if you have a negative pressure, what that means is you're drawing in outside air into your building. And on a hot, humid day, that's not a good thing when customers are walking through the front doors. So. A slight positive pressure is what will give you the best performance overall of an HVAC system. We're also monitoring CO2, temperature, relative humidity, and we kind of view it as a kind of a Fitbit for a building. You know, like you wear a Fitbit on your wrist and it kind of gives you a, an overall high level assessment of, of how your body's doing right then and there. And we're doing the same thing for a building so that facility managers can get a sense for, is their building falling into a negative pressure? Are CO2 levels rising to unhealthy levels? 
Same thing with relative humidity. So it's, it, it, we provide trending information. It's a helpful guidance when troubleshooting a problem. Right. This is the engineer in me that's coming out, but I wonder, is there a particular reason you measure the pressure and not the temperature? Because I would have imagined that you would measure the inside temperature and the outside temperature to determine your, your monitoring systems. Well, we, we do measure the indoor temperature as a cross-check to what maybe the thermostats are saying the building temperature is. And pretty much, you know, you, you always know what the, the indoor temperature is based on the thermostat reading. So knowing, you know, the inside temperature versus the outside temperature, you know, that's, that's kind of commonly known information anyway today. But the, the key parameter that is not being monitored is the building pressure. You know, we're in the HVAC commissioning space. We test in balance, air balanced buildings, and we know how critical uh, building pressure is to building performance and comfort and health and safety. And it's, it's, a, it's a blind spot in the industry. Interesting. And I wonder how much of the commercial building space in the U.S. right now is due for renovation? Well, with COVID right now, a large percentage. You know, the most important thing is to ensure that you have ample fresh air capabilities so that you're not re recycling the same air over and over. I think a lot of buildings are designed with that fresh air capability, but they're not being controlled maybe in an optimal fashion. You know, one of the concerns is, well, if you suddenly bring more outside air in, it's going to increase the energy cost. But, you know, if done smartly, you can you can regulate that outside air based on actual demand. And for example, I mentioned monitoring CO2. That would be a indicator of whether or not you need more fresh air or not. CO2 can be a surrogate for, hmm, there's too many people in the building and we need more fresh air kind of a thing. And so bring in more fresh air, lower the CO2 levels, and then you know maybe you can cut back a little bit on your fresh air. It's that kind of analysis. Wow, that's really interesting. I hadn't actually thought about it like that. Now, COVID, have you guys had to adjust in the way that you do anything because of COVID? I can't say that we have, you know, the buildings that we are commissioning, you know, they're typically designed for 15 to 20% outside air, which is typically enough. So the, the problem stores and applications would be maybe if you don't have any outside air coming into your building. And that often happens, you know, you have maintenance people going up onto the roof thinking that they're going to, they're going to help save the owner money by closing the outside air damper. That's when the negative pressure problem can start up. That's when you are recirculating the same stale air over and over and cause, you know, health issues. So. Right. So you haven't had to work about trying to increase airflow into the buildings or anything like that because of COVID? No, but, you know, I know that, you know, that's a, um, you know, it's kind of a focus with the school, the K through 12 schools, you know, so many of the older schools here in the country, many of them still don't have any HVAC to speak of. I mean, they might be window air conditioners, you know, that's why sometimes, you know, schools start, you know, later than when you'd ideally like to start them. Certainly newer schools are being designed with air conditioning, but again, those built in the 60s and 70s, you know, uh, and maybe even the 80s, not so much. So there's older building stock that has to be addressed and upgraded with 
HVAC systems to not only provide the fresh air, but the heating and cooling, you know, for comfort so the students can be comfortable and, and you know, pay attention and learn. Sure, sure. Why is it that so few buildings are retrofitted? Is it just an age thing? It's a cost thing also, I would say. You've got to justify it based on the payback. Here in the U.S., we have such a, you know, short-term mentality. You know, people want often want to see a payback of one to two years, which is not the way to go. If you've got a facility that's, you know, it's going to be around for 10, 20, 50 years. So uh, why, not, why not take the long view? That can be a hurdle, just overcoming some of the short-term thinking of those who uh, control the, the budgets and um, the monies. Right. So there are benefits to doing these in the long term, right? Well, sure. I mean, most importantly, health. I've learned that green buildings are not only about energy and water efficiency, but it's about providing a, a safe and healthy workplace that also makes you know, your environment conducive to learning and growing and being productive, you know, whether you're in school or in the workplace. And so just, you know, little things like, you know, natural light coming in, that's an important thing. And, you know, I, you know once uh, electric lighting was invented, I guess people thought, well, you know, we can have dungeons for buildings with very little natural light coming in. But, you know, humans, we naturally crave outside the lighting. And so over the last 20 plus years, we've learned that, you know, these kind of things that we're designing buildings to bring in more natural light more fresh air, have views to the outside. We also like to be able to look outside and see green trees. So those are tapping into the psychology of designing buildings. Right. And I imagine that this would also save costs too over the long term, would it not? Well, sometimes you're adding costs to do some of these things, but if you're taking the holistic approach, you're saving money. When I say the holistic approach, it's not just about the first cost of adding these technologies or these features in your building, but how are you going to get the most performance from not only the building, but those who are working in the building or learning in the building? And so, yeah, if, you, if your objective is to teach students or to create a healthy work environment for people to do their very best thinking and to be creative and to be engaged and energetic, um, you've got to provide the right environment for that, you know, type of thinking. So, yeah, if you take the holistic approach, it's a, it's a no-brainer, but, you know, we're, we're still, I think, climbing that learning curve. Doing these building retrofits and things have lots of benefits for, like you said, the people who are working in the buildings, for probably the, the company owners themselves or the school owners, building owners themselves. But doing these things also might have some kind of benefits to the planet or to the environment as well. Is that also right? Well, yeah, we, you know, we have to get to the point where we're designing and building zero energy buildings. I've been on a journey over the last 15 years or so of doing that for our own corporate headquarters. And, um, you know, I can expand on the benefits, some of which I've already kind of mentioned. Increasingly, we need to minimize the electric load of our buildings and then complement the buildings with a solar PV array 
so that it can generate all the electricity you need for that building. So rather than having a central power plant 50 miles away, providing all the power for all the buildings in that area, you know, I think a, a better way to design our electric grid would be to have a distributed energy model where you have thousands, maybe millions of buildings and homes generating their own power. And then when there's a, a weather event or a, a cyber attack on the grid, we don't risk taking out whole cities and, you know, ruining our economy. And just imagine what it's doing to the, you know, the, the healthcare industry. I mean, you certainly don't want to be in the hospital when something like that happens or in a school. So we need a grid that's smarter and more resilient than the one we have. Right. Do you see solar PV as being kind of one of the main sources of energy generation in the future? Absolutely. It is the best option we have to make our building zero energy. Wind turbines make sense in certain markets, but typically you wouldn't put a wind turbine on a building or near, you know, too close to a building. You know, they're, they're, they're more suited for being out on a wind farm, you know, out in the prairie lands of, you know, Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, et cetera. But solar, you can locate it virtually anywhere in the country. We all get sun. The sun rises every morning. It goes down and we usually have a full day in which to generate some power for a building. Now, some people say, what about the clouds? Well, yeah, that can reduce the amount of of power being generated, but not usually it's not 100%. You know, it might be you go from 100% down to 90, 80, 70, 60% kind of a thing. Just depends on the, you know, the, the amount of cloud coverage you have. Now, these days, we also have this growing concern over climate change. And is that public concern of climate change now getting so strong that companies actually can look at transitioning to these building retrofits and renewables as a way of enhancing their brand? Absolutely. And many companies are already doing that, like Apple, Google, Facebook, Microsoft. Many of the largest, most successful companies are doing exactly that. We need to educate and inspire the countless other companies out there, small, medium, and large, who are not yet doing that because they view energy as not being part of their business, but it increasingly should be part of their business. And they should increasingly where that energy is coming from. How is it being generated? But yeah, in this the social media, you know, intense world in which we live, you know, and I think companies have to be more aware of whether things that they're doing, are they doing well by doing good? Are there practices by which they're harming part of the environment, part of whatever it might be? I think there's a growing movement for getting ahead of that and not being seen part of the problem, but being seen as part of the solution. Right. So there's a whole host of benefits to doing these retrofits and transitioning to renewable energy, not just for the company, but for the environment as well. Yeah, and, and probably the most important ones that I, I kind of touched on are the HR and PR benefits. You know, the ability to attract and retain a higher quality employee and a higher quality customer to your organization because your brand now looks at these things and shows that you're trying to be part of that solution. 
that impacts your top and bottom line directly. You know, you can't avoid that. So it's not just about saving energy, which might only be, uh, you know, 5% of your P&L kind of a thing. It's, it's much more strategic. Now, you also mentioned small and medium-sized businesses, because I think a lot of people kind of look at these kind of doing these retrofits and transitioning to the renewable energy stuff as being something that like the big companies can do, like Apple and Google can do that. But I'm a small business owner. I can't, I don't have the money to afford those kind of things. As somebody who helps businesses of all sizes, do you have any tips or some options for small or medium-sized businesses? I mean, no tips other than what we've already discussed that, uh, you know, this is a branding opportunity. It's a leadership opportunity, marketing opportunity, and you're going to attract better people, better customers. If you're seen as, you know, trying to do the right thing, you know, socially, environmentally, you know, there are economies of scale to soar. So it's easier for maybe a big company to financially justify doing a project. You know, if you're a small business and you've got a small building, it's going to cost more per watt than it would for a big company to do that. But the the good news is the cost of solar continues to come down. I'm confident that in the coming years, it will be as easily justifiable to do it for a smaller business in the future as it is for a large business today. There are benefits, though, across the full scale, whether you own a big company or small company. Yeah. In fact, I've got solar for my home. It's just that, you know, we're, we're like a small company, I guess you could say, a small family. And I'd love generating electricity and watching the meter spin backwards on days when there's lots of sun and we're not, you know, pulling too much of an electric load. And then, you know, I'm basically getting a credit on my energy bill every month for the amount of power I sent back to the grid. And, you know, if I sell my house, I'll get increased value for doing that. So it's not like it's, you know, somehow I've got to, you know, recover that investment, you know, in two years or five years. And it's a long-term investment with long-term benefits. Right. And you guys don't do any residential, right? Everything that you guys do is on commercial. Everything is commercial. Yes. For companies that are thinking maybe of doing some of these retrofits and things right now, what are some ways in which they are maybe wasting money in terms of their current energy usage? You know, when we designed our HQ1 and HQ2, the most important features that we focused on were the building envelope, one to make it as provide super insulation for it, basically. Then we looked at the heating, ventilation, air conditioning. We put in a geothermal HVAC system. Then you think about the lighting. What kind of lighting? Well, we put in LED lighting. After you do those three big, simple things, the uh, best thing you could do then would be to add solar to your rooftop. So, you know, going zero energy is not complicated. It's, It's pretty simple. Now, you could say that for an existing building, it might be difficult to super insulate a building that's already in place, you know? And so maybe you can't do that, but certainly you can, you know, go for a more efficient HVAC system as you're maybe having to upgrade it or replace it anyway. You know, the life of an HVAC system is typically 15 years. And so if you're approaching that, the life of a typical HVAC system, then 
why not upgrade it with something that's more efficient? Same thing with lighting. Yeah, it's it's not uh, pie in the sky stuff. It's not rocket science. It's the contractors and the solution providers are out there ready to help anyone that might want need this. Also, I should mention, you know, another option available to every one of us is that let's say you don't have the roof space available for a solar PV system or the ground, or you can't justify it. But what everybody can do, business owners and homeowners alike, is opt for the green power option with your uh, local utility. More and more, every one of them is offering that green power option. And it might cost a little bit more per kilowatt hour. And if it does, you know, that cost is typically as low as half a cent per kilowatt hour, which for an average homeowner might be the cost of a Starbucks coffee per month. So many of us, if not most of us, who are already buying Starbucks coffees on a regular basis, sometimes one or two a day kind of a thing, certainly we can afford to upgrade to buying clean energy from the grid rather than buying dirty energy from the grid. So basically, you're forcing your, your utility, your energy provider to go out to the market and procure clean energy on your behalf. And imagine if millions of us did that, we as savvy, smart consumers suddenly start calling for this clean energy because we no longer want to be part of the problem. We would almost instantly you know, create this clean energy revolution transition in years rather than decades. We as consumers have a role to play. It's not like, well, it's the utilities problems or it's, you know, it's the government's problems. We, we absolutely have a role to play in this. I wonder, was your company always kind of focused on these kind of clean energy and building efficiency kind of things from the start? Or was there a shift to that at some point? You know, when I started the business in 1987, you know, I, I was in survival mode often trying to grow the business for my personal success. And it wasn't until probably like 15 years or so later, specifically, it was 2004, I went to a green building conference in Cleveland and learned about how many professionals in the building industry were intent about making it more sustainable, that we have to design buildings better and uh, operate and maintain them better. I can't convey to you, I guess, the inspiration I received from that, but it was kind of an epiphany. And I walked away inspired, thinking, okay, I want to help. I want to be part of this movement. And in fact, I want to help lead it. And so we designed and built the first LEED. It's a, it's a building certification. It stands for Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design. But we built the first LEED Gold Building in Ohio. And that put us on a new journey that I would have never imagined it brought us to where we are today. We just continued to learn and grow and become a kind of a sustainability leader. So you just never know where that source of inspiration might come kind of a thing. So I, you know, I, I try to pay it forward to others. You know, I try to educate and hopefully inspire some people to do what I did. And it was, uh, it's been an interesting journey. I mean, I've written a couple books since then. and mentioned I've uh, we've um, built two zero energy buildings I've been giving talks all over the country here I'm talking to you while you're in Japan it's a role that I relish and I feel it's very important 
Yeah, that's incredible. I didn't know about the the lead building thing. That was that's a, that's awesome. You mentioned the book, and I actually wanted to spend just a moment talking about that. Or, or you said you have a couple of books, but your more recent one, Fusion Capitalism: A Clean Energy Vision for Conservatives. Some might argue that clean energy and conservatives don't mix. I'm curious, what would you say to those people? Well, that's why I wrote the book. And uh, by the way, I happen to be a conservative, and there's nothing in my conservative upbringing that says we have to want to pollute and be inefficient and waste money and not uh, be a good steward to the planet and pass on to our children a safer, healthier world in which to live. And so, in fact, I think many of those values are conservative. It, it has become a, a political hot potato for all the wrong reasons. And I'm here to argue against those, those reasons because they're, they're silly. They're, to be honest, they're, uh, they're stupid. Kind of goes back to the election in 2000, Bush versus Gore. Gore lost, but then he went on to focus on uh, this area called climate change, award-winning documentary. You know, the, the natural reaction from the right was to obviously counter, disagree, and even mock, you know, what Al Gore attempted to do. And in hindsight, he wasn't the best messenger to be bringing this most important message to bear. You know, the fact is climate science is real. It's, um, it, it's being caused by man burning fossil fuels, creating this greenhouse effect around our planet. You know, I liken it to a car sitting in the hot sun where you have all the glass allowing the sunlight to penetrate the glass and which warms up the car. And the same things happen with this, you know, all this carbon sitting up there in the atmosphere. It's allowing the, the heat to come in, but not to go back out. So, you know, it's physics. I think it's ridiculous that people are letting their politics, you know, affect their views on something like this. You know, a lot of people say, well, okay, forget the problems, focus on the solution. We can all rally around the great opportunity of clean energy. You know, it's, it's creating jobs in the solar power, wind power, energy storage industries, the electric car industries, they're, they're growing exponentially. In fact, they're the fastest growing industries there are. So, um, Conservatives can rally around economic opportunity and those kind of things. It's sad to me that, you know, we can't all look at the science and the data and the evidence and call it for what it is. You know, sometimes, depending on who it is, you just have to move on to the solution. Well, let's talk about this greatest opportunity of the 21st century. And we do have some great solutions coming around, I, I must say. Where can listeners go if they want to learn more about the uh, Malink Corporation or about your book? Well, they can go to our website at malinkcorp.com to learn more about our company and what we do and how we do it. And uh, they can go to Amazon or any book retailer like Barnes & Noble to order a copy of Fusion Capitalism, a clean energy vision for conservatives. You might ask, uh, so what is this fusion about? Well, everyone knows what capitalism is, partly what got us into this problem that we have right now with climate change. But I also think it's the best system to get us out of this problem, if done right. 
But fusion is the thermonuclear reaction that takes place on the sun every second of every day of every year of every, and will continue to go on for millions of years. And it provides all the heat and light and energy we on planet Earth will ever need by many times over. Trying to coin a phrase, fusion capitalism, and then target that phrase at my conservative brethren who are being dismissive, you know, for the most part at present, but hopefully they're going to come around because we're going to have to come around for a lot of reasons. There's a very deliberate choice of words there in the title. Yeah. Is there anything that I didn't think to bring up that you would want to mention to the listeners? You know, a lot of people are afraid of change. You know, those who are in the oil and gas industry, it's natural for them to poo-poo clean energy, right? And for um, the fossil fuel lobby to brainwash our politicians who then gallivant the country and say um, untruths about climate change and the like. But I drive an electric car, the coolest car I've ever driven. It's a Tesla. Before that, I drove a Chevy Volt. I've driven lots of nice cars my years, but nothing compares to electric cars. They accelerate faster. They're quieter. They require a lot less maintenance. You don't have to worry about oil filter changes, replacing spark plugs and radiator coolant and all those kind of things. And guess what? I never have to stop at a gas station. I can turn my car at night or during the day when I'm at work. And that's very freeing not to ever have to make those stops. So there's a lot of positives around us making this transition. And it, yeah, people are going to have to change jobs over time. I mean, this is going to happen overnight. Over, this is going to happen over years. So all the engineers and, and professionals, smart people who are in that industry, it's going to be an even greater opportunity for you in these fast-growing industries, which to me, it's, it's, it's like the computer revolution of the 80s. And then, you know, we talked about solar panels and other technologies that can make our buildings uh, more efficient. And gosh, there's much to look forward to. I think our energy costs will go down over time because solar power will become mainstream. It, so our, our, our energy bills aren't going to go up. They're going to be going down over time. Right. Fantastic. And I think that is a fantastic point to end on and maybe start to go into the second portion of the show, which is where we offer you to take a optional sustainability challenge. So if you don't mind, would you like to give one a try? Well, you know, I feel like I'm on the cutting edge with doing everything I can at my home and my buildings and our cars to always showcase the future. So I feel like I, I've been taking your challenge to heart, you know, for the last 15 plus years. And so if, if I may, I would like to turn it around and, and put it back to your listeners and, and just let them know again that it's not as daunting as of a, of a change as you may think. And it's, it's, it's a fun one. It's been a, just a fantastic journey that I've been on. Every one of us can do it. Now, you know, there might be people in the lower income bracket who, you know, are, are struggling to pay for the roof over their heads and the, and the food on the table and those kind of things. Maybe they aren't the 
they, they probably shouldn't be the first to try to help mainstream these technologies. But for the rest of us who are blessed to have what we have and who can do small things to make a difference, we absolutely should. And certainly those who are have the means should be doing even more than that. And uh, so make smart consumer choices. I guess that's my challenge to your listening audience. Let's create this clean energy revolution. It's kind of like the, you've got drug pushers and you've got drug users. Who's more the problem? And, and you can say, what's well, the drug pushers? But if there's a market for drugs, the, dr- you know, the drug pushers would stop if there wasn't a market. So we have to stop creating demand for fossil fuel generated energy. And we can do it by shopping smartly. Definitely sounds to me like you care a lot for the environment. And I wonder if you don't mind me asking, when you think about the environment, what does the environment mean to you in in your specific case? Like, do you have specific memories or specific feelings about the environment when you think about the environment? Well, for me, the the critical issue of our time is climate change. And so I, yes, I, I love Mother Nature. This earth in the universe of stars, you know, if you look at our, even just at our solar system, you know, we're the only planet that has green and blue and white in it. It's, it's like this beautiful marbled planet. And then you have Mars and Venus next to us, and they're brown and you know, red and they're dust bowls. I think we've got a most unique and fragile ecosystem that we can't take for granted. And, you know, some say it's arrogant to think that we can destroy that. And I think it's arrogant to think that we can't. You know, there's too too much evidence out there over a course of time to show how much damage we're capable of doing to each other and to our planet. And I, you know, we, we've got limited time to turn this, this around. If we don't, we've got something that's going to be irreversible. It's going to be, you know, it'll just continue to spin out of control and the earth will get warmer and warmer and warmer. Once all the ice melts, I think it's game's over. And so we need to make sure that we don't allow the, the planet to warm to the point that all the ice melts. Because that's, that's kind of acting as a, a phase change material to get in a stabilized our ocean temperatures, once the ice melts, then the, you know, the ocean temperatures will just continue to rise. And so anyway, I, I feel morally and professionally compelled to do what I can working in the energy industry as I do to, you know, make a difference. And, you know, I'm just one person, but, but hopefully the message will get to people who have greater means and greater influence than, than I do. Right. Yeah. It's, I think at this point, most people have now felt the effects of climate change, even if they don't realize it. In, in your case, what are some things that you might have felt about climate change, some of the effects of climate change you might have felt? Uh, one is that um, my basement was flooding recently, several times a year due to heavy torrential rainstorms that we had never gotten before. I mean, we'd always have, you know, heavy rains from time to time, but nothing on the order that we have been getting in the last five plus years. So my basement flood, I've got, you know, I've got 
is carpeted with furniture and it's, everything's drywalled. My office is down there. And when, when it floods, it's, it, it's a, a real disaster. And of course, that problem is small compared to what people in California have to deal with, with the, the fires and the droughts and people in you know, other states have to worry about with storms and hurricanes. More and more people are feeling the effects, whether they know it or not. Yeah, that sounds awful. Did that make climate change feel more real to you after that had happened? It did. And, you know, I, I had to gut check my intuition that, well, this is this is climate change. But, you know, then I would talk to the plumbers and other contractors who would have to come out and clean the basement. Then finally, I had a sump pump installed. But, you know, they're all the same, the exact same thing. We have never seen so many basements flood as they have in the last several years. So it was corroborating kind of evidence to me that, you know, this is, this is not just my perception. It's the professionals who do this work, it's their perception as well. Yeah. And I can imagine like when it, when it hits your very own home, then you must start to feel that connection, not yourself also, but maybe to, maybe to your wife or to your children or to your family. That must be a, maybe scary feeling or what, what does that feel like in that? Yeah. But, but again, I, I feel like it's um, mall potatoes compared to what so many other people have had to experience, you know, with the devastation with, with whole homes being burned down or wrecked by hurricanes, but you know, it's only going to happen with greater frequency and severity over time. So you would say that you feel pretty concerned about the future. <laughs> With climate change, I am, and and I'm going to do everything in my powers to mitigate the the worst outcomes of it. You know, my father, you know, came from the greatest generation, fought in World War II, and you know, obviously that generation had to make a lot of sacrifices to save humanity from the worst impulses of of humankind. And um, I think this is, you know, in a way, my my calling to fight my version of a world war that's caused by you know by humans we just don't give full recognition to that fortunately it's it's not as um there's not the, the, the kind of combat that you would have in a typical war but it's it's going to mean it's a there's gonna be different kinds of effects you know from just think of the human migration as as coastlines flood i mean virtually millions of people are going to be uprooted and have to move to higher ground as sea levels rise and as hurricanes and, and other things become more severe. So yeah, it's, it's going to affect our, you know, every supply chain out there, the food we eat, the water we drink, how do we get it? And we can't even imagine what the worst uh, impacts could be. And so rather than focus on that, because too many, it's easy to get, you know, kind of down about that. I just say, I'm going to do all I can to focus on the solution. I'm going to bring clean energy to the marketplace as fast as I can and work with those who have, you know, the similar goals and aspirations. And it's great that we, we have a new administration that is aligned with that thinking. And I'm excited by the, the possibilities from everything I'm reading from our the Secretary of Energy and other departments uh, across our federal government. So what I'm hearing from you is that you're feeling mostly worry and concern, but also hope. 
for the future. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think even those who, no matter where they are in their life, you know, at their worst moments, you know, hope is what got them through it. Right. And so, you know, I, I think the problem is, is one of the toughest problems that humankind has ever faced. But if we work together, we can overcome it. Very good. Well, again, I'm not going to push it too much more, but I'm going to just one last time, just give a little bit of a push at, is there anything that you would want to do based on those feelings of, of worry and concern and maybe hope for the future? Something that you might want to try doing to act on those feelings with a few conditions. It doesn't have to be a big thing. It's not about doing the biggest thing or the most important thing. You don't have to solve climate change overnight. It's not about big or small. It's more about just having something that is meaningful to you. Is there anything that you could think of that you might want to try? I'll say that I've added the solar PV to my home and to my buildings. And the next step would be to add battery storage so that when the power goes out, I could have this, you know, microgrid and be able to continue running my building. I mean, we, we are going to need that more and more in the future. And I haven't made that plunge yet because the battery technologies are still kind of early, even though we're seeing them in electric cars more and more and in appliances of all kinds. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I want to showcase how every building could be allowed to operate independent from the grid and how that, you know, all the benefits of, of doing that. Yeah, that's awesome. That is definitely something that I would also want to do eventually at some point in the future, once I have a home of my own. <laughs> is that something you would want to commit to on some time scale? Usually on, on this show we do we try to make it a smart goal meaning specific measurable achievable realistic time bound if there's a time frame that you would want to commit to doing one on well uh, i will absolutely do one or two of those uh in 2021 okay so between my home and probably our hq2 one or both of those will have a battery storage system by the end of 2021 excellent that sounds amazing. I would love to hear about how that goes, if you don't mind. How long do you think it would take until you've had some kind of meaningful experience that you could share with us, maybe after you've installed it and could kind of explain or be able to talk about how it went? Give me six to nine months to put all the, the bowls in motion and to make it happen and to where I can prove it out and report back to you with blowing success. Let's talk again in, um, say, October, if that makes sense to you. Yeah, sure. Okay. As Then as soon as I stop the recording, we can kind of set an approximate date. All right. Thank you so much. Steve Mellink, thank you so much for talking to me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for um, promoting awareness of the need for more of us, all of us, to act with doing the right thing by the environment. And, you know, for for ourselves, but for our kids and future generations. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. That's exactly what I'm trying to do. Thank you so much. Steve Malink is a lifelong conservative, and he knows that being conservative doesn't mean you have to be against renewable energy and living sustainably. 
According to Steve, going for more sustainable energy systems is the right strategy for virtually any business's bottom line. Many politicians have tried to make renewable energy and sustainability out to be far-left, pie-in-the-sky nonsense. But it's just science. If we're going to escape the worst effects of climate change, we need to switch to renewable energy and find ways to reduce our energy use. Thanks to people like Steve, many who consider themselves to be die-hard conservatives are starting to realize the truth. Sustainability isn't optional. It's a must. Not only that, but it can help save you and your business money in the long term. It's the right bet to make for the future of humanity, whether you're liberal or conservative. I'm looking forward to having a second talk with Steve in a few months' time, as he makes changes to his life to be more sustainable. Thanks, Steve, for coming on, and thank you guys for listening. Be sure to hit the subscribe button and donate to support the podcast. I recently hired an editor so I can start to get more episodes out on a more regular schedule, so I'm going to need the help. Thanks, guys. Until next time. <laughs>